Internet Brand Strategist, Sandra Beck, interviews top business coaches, speakers, authors, and thought leaders to bring you the best business tips, tricks, and techniques to give your idea the best possible chance for success. From writing your first novel, to telecommuting from home, to taking your small business to infinity and beyond. Now here's your host, Sandra Beck. Hey everybody, this is Sandra Beck and I'm here with an extraordinary show today. I am with two of my favorite gentlemen. We've got Brian Andrews and Dr. Jeffrey Wilson and they happen to be not only best-selling authors, but two men that I believe are great family men. They're great leaders. They served our country and they have a lot to share with us today, whether you're uh, Dr. Jeffrey Wilson serving, you know, outside of Ramadi, you know, outside a lake, or you're in a submarine, you know, I don't know how many feet below the surface, two miles, I don't know, maybe that causes your head to implode, I don't know. I'm not a submarine, <laughs> there's a good reason for that, Brian Wilson. They also are best-selling authors, and you can find their books on Amazon, and they're neat guys. These guys work from home now after serving in the military. They write these great books. They have how many kids between them? Six, seven? Seven between us. Seven. Add my two. We've got nine. You know, we're parenting nine kids from four to, who's the oldest? I got a 16-year-old. Who wins? I got a 19-year-old. All right, you win. Um, but, you know, so, and they're at home. And where are you guys located right now? Uh, Jeff, where are you? I'm in Tampa, Florida. And do I have the youngest and the oldest? That doesn't seem I think so. You win the you win the cake there, buddy. That's not okay. <laughs> That's not okay. How about you, Brian? Where are you? I'm in Kansas City. So you're in Kansas City and I'm in Los Angeles. So we're representing our country today. And we're going to talk about uncertainty. And before we get into that, I just want you guys to give a brief bio because you guys have dealt with things that was uncertainty, sometimes on a minute by minute basis, things that most of us have never faced. And you walk away with some unique skill sets that you're going to bring today. I'm going to go to Jeffrey Wilson first. Give me a little 30 second bio. Sure. So um, mine's a little schizophrenic because I've done a thousand different things. My mom says I can't keep a job, but uh, by education, I'm a, uh, a vascular and trauma surgeon. I did that after spending some time in the Navy and also working for the government, working as a pilot for a while. And then after 9-11, I went back into the service because uh, I got mad like everybody else did and uh, served as a combat surgeon eventually with uh, Naval Special Warfare, deploying with an East Coast based SEAL team. And now I write thriller novels with my best friend, Brian Andrews. Oh, we love that. Brian Andrews. Hi, Sandra. Thanks for having me on the show. And um, like Jeff, I'm a Navy veteran. I served as a submarine officer on a fast attack submarine uh, in the Pacific. And after uh, my tour, I went to business school and um, studied leadership and, and business. I was a park uh, fellow at Cornell and then did some entrepreneurial things, but always, you know, my passion is always storytelling. So I became an author and um, met Jeff and, and we became really good friends. And now we have this co-authoring uh, adventure together that we're, we're currently on, um, telling military fiction, covert operation type stories. And um, uh, just happy to be able to share anything, you know, in my background or experiences uh, with your listeners about uncertainty or, or rather managing uncertainty. Well, that's it. I mean, you know, for many of us, the most uncertainty we've had recently is, you know, my Staples order is late or my Amazon order hasn't been delivered. And I'm not sure when it's arriving because I ordered a brand new 55 inch TV to help us get through this, you know, um, because we are big movie fans and we do like the big screen. So we're just planning on the three of us sitting in front as close to the screen as possible, shutting off all the lights and like watching Batman and Star Wars and Indiana Jones but my TV hasn't come yet and they don't know when it's going to arrive. Um, I mean, I, I jokingly say these things, but realistically, we live kind of a cush life here in the United States and we are used to ordering things with two-day delivery. We get pizza in 30 minutes. There's any number of fast food things, anything you could possibly want. And you go to our grocery stores and up until recently, there's like 1100 kinds of bread. I mean, you know, we talk about decision fatigue, maybe being a problem, not knowing which cheese to buy, because we have, again, like 1400 cheeses to choose from. But 
all of a sudden now you've taken our bread away. You've taken our eggs away and our milk away. And I find myself dependent on these school lunches because these school lunches that we can pick up in our town are actually better food, better nutrition than I can provide for my own children. Fresh fruit, fresh vegetables, um, hard boiled eggs, things that are in short supply here in Los Angeles. And I am not good at depending on somebody other than who I consider a brother or sister. Like I will depend on you guys to save my life, but I had a hard time depending on a school district that I kind of used to dog. I'll be honest. I had a lot of complaints and now I'm reliant on them. So that was kind of a good lesson in humility, but we don't like uncertainty. We don't like uncertainty on a good day. And we have a lot of it these days. Who wants to take the floor on uncertainty? I mean, life is uncertainty, right? I mean, I think what these times do is remind us of that. I don't think that, um, I don't think it's an, a normal, happy, healthy human condition to be in a state of uncertainty. But I think if you look at the universe that we all exist in, the uncertainty is there in the background all the time. And I think what makes us uncomfortable is when something like this pandemic uh, or the reaction to it forces that uncertainty into the foreground for us. But I think that we prepare ourselves for that through all of the life things that we do. Uh, you know, we talk a lot about uh, family and how important that is to us, putting things into our children that we want to be proud of and preparing them. All of that is part of preparing yourself also uh, for the uncertainty of the world around you. Uh, for me personally, uh, the, our faith is a big part of that. You know, my wife leads a uh, a women's ministry. I lead a men's military ministry for a large church down here in Tampa. And having that in the background every day is important. You know, we talk in a Bible study, for example, about how important it is to put on the armor of God, right? But you can't, if you're struggling to look in your drawers where all your armor of God is when the crisis hits, you're in big trouble. It's something you got to equip yourself for every day. So whether it's through faith or through mental discipline, that idea of equipping yourself on a daily basis uh, is really how you deal with uncertainty. Now, if it's gotten here and that didn't work for you, that's a whole different thing that I'm sure we'll get into down the road. But I think really managing uncertainty is understanding it's always there and just preparing for it on a daily basis. Brian Andrews. Yeah, I, I agree with what, what, with what Jeff said. And I think that to that point, uh, especially in the last five to 10 years are the American corporations with all the technology and, and data now that they are collecting. They've done a remarkably good job of trying to eliminate uncertainty from the average American consumer's daily life. And what does that mean? It means that, you know, all of our supply chain now is a just in time supply chain. You know, back 50 years ago, an individual grocer, which was owned by a particular, you know, small business owner, he would have, he or she would have to make decisions about how much, you know, how many uh, eggs do I want to keep in reserve? How much milk? What are my dry goods stores? How much inventory do I want to manage? And now, you know, we've sort of outsourced all of that to these big box companies and we, you know, we just rely on on the dependability of Amazon to take care of us. And I think that that maybe has given a lot of us um, a lot of predictability, but also a false sense of security. And, and that's, that's coming to roost now for a lot of people realizing, oh gosh, you know, um, I never really kept extra food around because, you know, I didn't need to, it was always available. And so maybe what this does is remind us that, you know, um, we do have to have some accountability for our own planning. We have to think down the road, you know, just because our weather app is very good now at telling us what the weather is, it doesn't mean that, you know, you don't have, you don't bring your, your jacket out with you, you know, in, in, in case you get caught in a rainstorm. So I think maybe this is, uh, if there is a silver lining to this scenario, it's that, you know, it reminds us all that, like Jeff said, life is uncertain, and, and we have to have some uh, accountability for our own, uh, you know, our own stability. 
Absolutely. And, you know, this brings up one of my favorite topics because I, I really like problem solving. It lights me up. Like, I love when people give me something like on a computer that can't be fixed, something that can't be solved, because that's what really lights me up. And I'll go three days without sleep just till I figure it out because it's that exciting to me. But what I've noticed with a lot of my peers and the people that I come into contact with, how lacking our problem solving skills have become because we're reliant on these big box companies, because we're reliant on Wi-Fi and Netflix to entertain us. What happened to our good old fashioned problem solving skills? Yeah, I mean, I think that's right. It's easy in our, in our, we're very blessed. I'm not, I'm not mocking our, our, our amazing country. We're very blessed to live in a place where we have that security, but it has created a, a spoiled nature in all of us um, where it's no longer just enjoying those comforts. It's an expectation of that comfort, right? right? And, you know, if our Starbucks coffee takes two extra minutes, we get mad. We feel put out like we're victims now. And I think that that is an important part of, you know, when you're dealing with uncertainty, I think that an important part of it is having a realistic expectation of what the world really should be like. I mean, it's okay to enjoy those comforts, but you need to be able to separate yourself enough from them that you can say to yourself, look, what do I really need? Like down at the core, down at its bare minimum, what do I need not just to be healthy, but also to be happy? Do I really need a venti, you know, skinny caramel macchiato in two and a half minutes? Or am I better off when my four-year-old hugs my leg and says, Daddy, I love you? If we can focus on those important things, it doesn't mean we don't have, get to enjoy the comforts, but it's a prioritization system that prepares us for these things, but also it'll make our everyday life happy. Like it's ridiculous how mad I get when someone cuts me off on Dale Mabry. Like, does it really matter mm -hmm. if I don't make that light and I get there 10 seconds later? Like, um, I think that we just need to internalize and introspect a little bit about what really drives our purpose, what really drives our feelings of success, what really at its base core drives our happiness. And when you answer those questions for yourself, you'll realize that the uncertainty isn't that big a deal. Right. Brian, let's talk about pro problem solving. Well, I think this is an opportunity to look at our problem solving methods. So if you look at, um, you know, let's say that uh, you are um, uh, worried about your employment, you're worried about your job. So um, the first thing that you can do, I think, is identify what, you know, what are your biggest risks? So let's say in this imaginary scenario, you're you're at home from coronavirus, you're really worried about your job because your healthcare is tied to your job. And if you lose your job, you'll lose your healthcare and you need to be able to make your next rent payment or your next mortgage payment and put food on the table for your kids. Okay, so I think one of the first things that people can do is start communicating with their, their employer. So you can communicate with your boss. And I think a lot of times people are afraid to talk to their boss. They're maybe afraid that if they ask a hard question that they might get retaliated against or that their boss will think that they're trying to find a way to skirt their work. Or, And I think you have to say, you know, this is especially at this time of crisis, you have to have a little courage and, 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 and also appeal to the humanity of your boss. So you can, you can express your concerns about, um, you know, you know, what, what, what is the company's plan for all of us going forward? If, if there are layoffs, how are those going to be handled? You know, will I get severance? Is severance an option for me? If I'm not a, if I'm not a salaried employee, can, is there a way I can get shit additional hours or can I do other things? So, you know, the only way that sometimes you can eliminate uncertainty is by going out there and trying to tackle the questions running around in your head one at a time. So you can be very systematic about it and say, okay, I don't know what's going to happen with my job, but I'm going to start asking questions. And then the next step after you start asking questions, because one question always begets a second question. So the next thing you can say is, okay, well, let's say I do lose my job. What's the, what are the next options for me for a temporary health care? Can I, can I get another policy? How would I go about doing that? 
Can I apply for welfare? How do I go about doing that? Or unemployment, how do I apply for unemployment? So I think you take action by educating yourself. And thankfully, the internet is still available to all of us. And most of these questions you can you could probably answer in an afternoon. So communicate with the people who have, you know, who might have the answers and then develop an action plan two, three, four weeks out in advance uh, for yourself. Well, and I, you know, I like what you talk about taking action because, you know, I encourage my clients to evaluate their, their jobs. Is this something you like? Is this something, you know, you've got this pause button and I know we all like the paycheck. I get that, but it's also a good time to evaluate. Do I need some additional skills? Can I get those skills online? Can I utilize this time, you know, to get a certification or to learn something outside of the box that could help me, you know, retain my position at a company or quickly find something new. And I think the one thing that you said that was so important to me um, was this idea of taking action because I have kind of my problem solving mantra. And uh, last year I was with a bunch of Cub Scouts and we were at a hotel room and there was a bunch of stuff on this little, you know, those little chips that you stick in the side of the computer and the kid dropped it and it bounced under this piece of furniture that's fixed to the wall. And everybody's like, we got to get the maintenance man. We got to go get, you know, somebody to pull this thing off the wall. Meanwhile, this is how I got the name MacGyver mom. I went in the bathroom and I stuck a bunch of coffee stirrers, you know, that they always have in the hotel rooms. I stuck them together by band-aids that I had in my purse. I stuck some gum on it and I had my son using his iPhone light and I'm like back there and I did I jabbed it against the wall stuck to the gum pulled it out we're fine and was I embarrassed to do that no my kids almost died they're like oh my god mom really but you have to take a risk you have to take a a, a action and say you know what I'm going to try this I'm going to do this and know that you know nobody's asking you to go out willy-nilly and be all crazy but to say, you know what, I can do this. I can come up with a plan. I can take action. Because I think even just sometimes the process of taking action is enough to get you over that bump of funk of like, crap, I'm going to, you know, lose my job. My wife's going to leave me. My kids are going to be homeless. You know, I'm going to be on the side of the street dying alone. You know, that's that, that, that natural progression we get in our heads of fear. You know, it just escalates. So just taking an action, what can I do today to take that action to get me over that hump? And if it didn't work, guess what? I tried something and now I know it doesn't work and I can try something else because I'm not sitting around all day wondering what I should do. So I'm a big proponent of taking action. So Jeffrey Wilson, what do you say? Oh, that's exactly right. Right. I mean, that's the, that's the key to the whole thing. That's, and you see that in the military a lot, um, that mindset of taking one step. Um, those insurmountable problems, if you can break them down into the 10 parts that really form them and take them one at a time, each of those 10 steps is not insurmountable on its own. You get through each of those steps and before you know it, you're safely back at base. And I think that that's something that we don't as a culture do very well um, because we tend to just be out there in the thick of things instead of prioritizing things, putting together a list. But I think you're exactly right. Taking one step takes you one step closer to wherever it is you're going. But standing there frozen like a deer in the headlights gets you nowhere but farther from your goal. And that's something that's just basic leadership, right? I mean, we all know it. We all know how to say it. But doing it and leading others in it, that can at times be a challenge. But action is the only answer to every single problem. Um, you know, we used to say... Uh, I guess it was meant to be an insult, but you know, people would say about me, oh, he's sometimes mistaken, but he's never in doubt. Okay, well, I understand you're making fun of me, but what you're really saying is I'm always doing something, and that's something I'm actually kind of proud of. I'd rather make the wrong decision than no decision at all, because in most of the jobs I've had, no decision can be quite deadly. Aboard a nuclear submarine, I'm sure Brian will tell you, making no decision in crisis is the only way to be sure you die. Make a bad decision and then fix that decision later. But making no decision is never, ever the right answer. Right. So we're going to go over to Brian because it's one of my favorite things. Like, you know, and, and my dad taught me this as a little girl. And sometimes when I'm really stressed, I go, just take a bite of the elephant, take a bite of the elephant. Because the <laughs> whole thing is, how do you eat an elephant? 
one bite at a time. Take a bite of the elephant. So, so Brian, let's talk about, you know, indecision and uncertainty and being frozen. How did that work on the submarine, like 2,000 feet under the surface? Yeah, I, I, I think that you have to, there's the paradigm shift that has to happen in anybody's life. At some point, you have to decide, either I'm going to let life happen to me, or I'm going to take, try to take charge. And, and Jeff said it brilliantly, you know, um, with, when he was uh, teasing himself, you know, I, I, how did the quote go, Jeff? Sometimes I might be- Sometimes mistaken, but never in doubt. Exactly. You know, you, you cannot let life happen to you or you will always be disappointed because life will throw at you what it wants you to have. And it doesn't care about your input or your preferences or your opinions, right? So first thing, make that paradigm shift. I'm not going to let life happen to me. I'm going to try to have some control. Now, we can't control everything. That's, we, we don't have a crystal ball, and we're not omniscient. But we can, we can attempt to make our own luck. And what I mean by that is we can be proactive instead of reactive. We can start putting plans in place that, you know, allow us to start moving in the direction that we want. You know, if you hear that there's going to be a terrible storm coming your way, you just say, well, I hope it doesn't hit me. Okay, that's one solution. Uh, and now you're putting your, your fate in the hands of the weather. The other option is you say, you know what, kids, we're going to go down in the basement. Uh, we're going to get under this table. That's the strongest table that we have. We're going to set up a radio down here so we can keep track of it. We're going to get flashlights in case we lose power. Um, we're going to have a mobile phone down here in case we get traps. And you can see, you can start putting together these plans for contingency plans, right? So life is about, you know, identifying risk and then start putting in place these contingency plans. And suddenly, once you start doing that, like Jeff said, you might not, you might not have thought of everything. You might not have had the best plan, but you're a lot better off than the person who just says, well, I hope it doesn't go bad for me because hope is not a strategy. No, no. I want to I just add to that real quickly. I think that, you know, we're talking about this in the setting of crisis, which is always when it comes up, right? But that mindset of decision-making, action-taking is something that should occur on a daily basis. You know, all of us know somebody who is stuck in this unsatisfying life and they will have been saying for 20 years, well, you know, this circumstance that happened to me is why I'm like I am, or, you know, my dad treated me horribly or, or whatever it is. And I'm not trivializing those things. Those are real things and they impact us. But the decision to be a victim of your circumstances is yours and yours alone. You can't control, if you had a crappy dad, you can't control an illness that happened to you or your family. You can't control that. But you can control with an active decision whether you're going to react to that positively or simply assume it as an identity as a victim. And so you can choose to be what you want to be in any circumstance. And it shouldn't be reserved just for crisis. It should be every minute of every day we decide that we're going to impact the world around us and let it, instead of letting it impact where we go. Well, and I think, you know, you guys brought up a good point. I was taking notes like you guys, when I do shows with you, I actually take notes of what you say, <laughs> even though I'm the host, because I want to use this, you know, either That's in my terrifying. personal life. That's terrifying. Or, yeah, that's terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> I play you guys every night in my sleep. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but you brought up a really good point. <laughs> Because what is the story that we tell ourselves? Like you brought up, you know, some examples here, Jeff. And, you know, I want to just share what two different stories look like, what I could tell myself. So I could say to you, hey, guys, I married a jerk and I went through a foreclosure. I gained 40 pounds and let my health go. Or I could say, you know what? I was married. I had two kids and I got a new career out of it. Now, all things being equal. Both of those stories are true. One of them empowers me. One of them makes me feel like a big loser. So which story 
do I tell myself? And I think we have to make conscious choices. You know, whether you had that dad that was, you know, a jerk or the mom that had these problems or your spouse, this and that, like all those things, we get to choose the stories that we focus on. And I think naturally we always, you know, kind of naturally go toward the negative. But I can promise both of you that in your careers, in your, your naval careers, that you had pluses and minuses. What are you choosing to think about? What are you choosing to share with the world? What story are you telling us? And you guys are professional storytellers, which I think is great. But people tell themselves stories all the time that's not true. Yeah, I think that if you could listen to every person's internal monologue, you know, the vast majority of those monologues, you would say, oh my gosh, you know, why are you so hard on yourself? I think that we are all our harshest critics. And, you know, if, if others could hear the way we talk to ourselves, the amount of empathy that they would have for us, you know, you, you, you assume other people are thinking these things and nothing could be further from the truth. Most people generally are thinking fairly positive or, or, or non-judgmental thoughts about the, the, the strangers or the, the people that they're interacting with on a daily basis. So, you know, you, a lot of us are going around all day long, you know, judging and criticizing ourselves constantly. And I don't know you know, where that mechanism came from. Maybe when we were living in the jungle in small groups, you know, you, you had to be really, really focused on every little interaction because, you know, one mistake could be lethal. You know, that, that tiger was there to get you, your attention lapsed, you know, or you, you stepped on this stick and it broke and now, you know, the snake bites you or something. There, there's some sort of pre-programming, I think, that biases us towards being hard on ourselves and I think you have we have to recognize that we engage in this behavior because it's very it's very damaging to our self-esteem and our productivity go ahead Jeff well, yeah, I think that's interesting I, I I never really thought about it that way I think I think I'd have to ask myself is it something that is from you know us evolutionarily or is it more a more modern construct i mean i think that you know certainly it's worse now than ever because we look at our twitter feed or we look at our facebook page and we look at the messages from our friends and everybody's smiling and everybody's happy and everybody's excited and so what's wrong with me um but if you were to look at that person on their couch seconds after they took that smiling picture to put on their Twitter feed, they're actually sitting by themselves in their underwear eating Doritos. And so, <laughs> and so we have this. So while it may be something innate in us, I think our modern society has elevated it to an insane level that we have to choose to not accept. We can't constantly be comparing ourselves to one another, especially in a world where the comparison is artificial and, and staged on social media. And so I think that um, you're probably right. There probably is some innate mechanism by which we do it, but my God, we've taken it to an extreme where we worry more about how we stack up than how we perform. Uh, and I think if we focus on how am I performing in my household with my family, at my job, with the tasks I've been assigned to at my creative writing uh, and my writing partner, Brian, whatever it is, focus on the task, focus on the action. I think those comparisons disappear and you say, I'm doing pretty good, right? Uh, but it is an interesting question, isn't it? How, that, how we came to be this way. Well, yeah, because I think there's a big difference between I'm going to hunt a mastodon and I don't want to step on a snake and get bit versus like I'm going through Starbucks and if they don't get my order right with my double frappe, whippy, cheesy, whatever thing, you know, and go ballistic. But I think it's worth talking about that we do have to manage our, you know, minds, manage our thoughts. And I want to share with you guys, 
when I was a single mom and, and young, you know, my kids were maybe three and five years old. We wanted to go to movie night at the park. And that was a big deal in our summer. We have a, you know, backdrop, they show Wizard of Oz or something. Everybody trucks in and they carry everything. Well, I was always the mom dragging the chair, dragging everything. The cooler was in my little red wagon, trying to keep both kids from running off and just disappearing into the night. And I was so resentful until this family in front of us the kids were bickering. The husband was like, I don't know what he had said. He was in the doghouse. The wife's yapping at him like there's no tomorrow. She picks up her cell phone, holds it up and says, okay, everybody smile. Everybody drop that jerk act. And they're like, cheese. She takes the picture. They go back down and I was following them. Cause like I live for couples who fight when you're a single parent. I just enjoy it to no end. I'll be honest. I've got a vice and I'll sit down next to you and I'll be eating my popcorn watching you and your husband bicker and your kids throw up and enjoy every minute of it. But the point being is like, I felt so bad about myself being a single mom in that position. And then I'm like, you know what? I don't have anybody yelling at me. I'm not fighting with anyone. I can watch the movie. So, you know, there is a flip side of everything and social media cannot be the deciding factor on whether we're worth living, breathing, talking, working, whatever. It, it just can't be one of those factors. And secondly, I think examining your thoughts because some of our thoughts, you know, when I think of myself going, well, I can't do this. I can't, I can't change my job. I can't, you know, can't, can't, can't. And then I always have my go-to phrase with, which is I'm a Navy SEAL and I hand out lollipops because that's the absurdity. Navy SEALs don't hand out lollipops. And the absurdity of me saying I can't do something is all just fabrications in my mind. And I think calming that internal chatter is one of the biggest keys of successful problem solving and success for leaderships, whether you're leading a platoon or you're leading your family. Um, Self-defeating thoughts, limiting beliefs. Who's got them? Everyone. Who wants to talk about them? Jeff and Brian. <laughs> well, I tell you, I think that, um, you know, you've hit on some really important things. Um, and I, and I'll, I'll speak at, for a moment about this and then let hear what Brian says as a parent, because I think that, um, one of the things that Wendy and I strive to be very intentional about every single day with our, with our children, and I do think with our daughters in particular, is to dispel the myth that what anyone thinks matters. And now Brian will tell you, I'm a little bit towards the sociopath side. Like I may, <laughs> I may not care almost to a pathological level. And I certainly don't want to, I certainly don't want to get them that point. But I do think that you need to ask yourself, and we encourage our children to do this, ask yourself every day, whose opinion really matters and why? Um, because my daughter will come home from school and she'll say, oh, you know, this person was said this ugly thing or blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, is she a friend of yours? He's like, no, no, no. You know, we're not friends. She's always mean to me. It's like, so someone who you don't care for or care about said something about you and their opinion mattered. Why? Like, why does that? It shouldn't bother you. The only people whose opinion should matter to you are God, your family, and the people you care about. And if the person isn't in that group, why do we put such weight yeah. on their opinion? Um, if you feel like you've done the right thing, then you've done the right thing. Move on. So I'm very intentional in our household about trying to instill that into our children. Again, Brian, don't worry. I'm not going to get them to my level of apathy towards society. Okay, let's just talk well, about apathy and socio sociopathy for a second. Anybody who is slicing and dicing soldiers in the middle of combat to save their lives has to have a little bit of, I think, professional distancing. So we're going to give you, you know, we're going to give you some, some space for that. But I also know you to be a very loving, warm and cuddly husband and father. Like if you guys could see this guy, you'd be like, Oh my gosh, you know, so different. And the same thing, Brian, like I get to meet you guys in a very different way than if you were in uniform in the middle of combat or leading your submarine, whatever you're doing with that. But I think, you know, for some people, what other people do does really hurt them, right or wrong. It hurts them. And it's good for all of us to hear these things. Now, Brian, what about you and your household in raising your kids versus in command and, and, you don't have the sociopathic chip. <laughs> well, first, let me clear something I'm up. I'm just teasing you. Jeff, okay. Jeff's sense of humor is very self-deprecating, but he is one of the most generous and thoughtful men, people yes. I've ever met. And he's, 
He's always helping people, reaching out to people. And one thing that's great about Jeff, and I don't know if it's he's medicated or not, but he is always, uh, you know, he wakes up uh, on the right side of the bed every day. You know, he has an innate optimism and uh, he just sort of lifts people up uh, everywhere he goes and, and he, he lifts me up on a daily basis. So that's one of the greatest things about Jeff. And it might be mental illness or maybe it's willpower. I'm not sure, but it's, it's very real. Um, but I think, you know, he probably made a decision a long time ago and, and, and I'm speaking, you know, by example here, I guess, but at some point we all have to decide, you know, to like ourselves, you know, and, and the last time I checked, uh, you, you can't trade in the body or the brain that, that you were born with, right? You, you got, this is what you got, you know, and uh, whether you're religious or not, you know, you know, this is what God gave us, you know, you, you came out of your mom, <laughs> and this is the body and the mind and the soul that you have. So, you know, you can live your entire life disliking yourself, or you can say, you know what, okay, this is what I've got to work with. I'm going to accept that. And that's the bare minimum. The bare minimum is just accepting yourself. Okay. And then the next step is liking yourself. And I would say the step after that is loving yourself. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and if you can't love yourself and be proud of yourself and take care of yourself, you know, why would anybody else want to love you and right. care for you? Right. So I think that, you know, this is, these are sort of advanced concepts and they're hard to to share with the kid because children are less introspective their their it is very powerful they're thinking very selfishly but i i try to introduce them to these concepts that you know it's okay to like ourselves we should like ourselves and we we can be proud of ourselves without being arrogant and and um i think you you as a parent one of my number one jobs is to instill self-confidence and a sense of self-worth in my children. If I can do that, then I've really helped prepare them for the world out there. I think one of the ways that Brian does that so well that is functional for his family, but also in a, in a broader context that we can all learn from, and it's, it's part of who he is and it's part of you know, his service, but it's also part of his education in this Park Leadership Fellowship he did. The idea of being a servant leader mm -hmm. is really, really important. And I think it's something that a lot of people use that expression, the, the buzzword of servant leadership, but I'm not sure that everyone really understands it and applies it like I see Brian do. The idea that there's something more important than yourself. If you want to give your children a sense of pride and self-respect, you do that not by just elevating them because then you just wind up with a kid that's arrogant. You do it by elevating them into a sense of purpose. And if they can adopt that servant leadership, uh, model where the team is more important than self. The mission is more important than the team. The country is more important. Than, there's always a level above and you're always serving a higher purpose than just yourself. And I think that that is something I agree that putting the high concepts into children is very, very difficult because they just, you know, when they're four, they just don't know why they can't get a new LOL doll. But, <laughs> but I think that what you can do is simultaneously train them up in that aspect of servant leadership. You ask any of my kids at any age, what do Wilsons do? They will tell you, and they don't understand it till they get older, but they will say, we take care of people who can't help themselves. And they, and they live it out because they've never known anything else. So, so Brian does this, and it's one of the things that made us become such good friends when we first met, was it's very obvious when you meet Brian that he has, as his entire core, that servant leader mentality. And so I think that's how you get it into your kids, even at a young age. What have you done to make your world a better place, your family a better place, your brother a happier person, your mom's day easier? And they... I think as human beings, we innately take pride in that. We know when we've done something good and it fills our self-worth in ways that nothing else can. Not looking pretty, not earning more money, not all those things. There's nothing wrong with any of those things, but they don't fill us the way having a sense of purpose to bring good into the world through leadership does. And so I think that's something you can put in your kids from a very, very early age. Well, and I think you can model it. You know, I think, you know, you, you guys, oh, that's know, work. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you guys know, like talking to teenagers in one ear and out the other, you know, and you kind of hope what sticks, you wonder what sticks. But I think, you know, when we model these things, when we embody, you know, the servant leadership aspect, you know, my kids are always like, mom, you're going to adopt the swim team. And, you know, I did, I, I made all these little wave bracelets, you know, for all my swimmers and, um, you know, we can adopt um, everyone. We can adopt um, a mentality of servant leadership and to answer to someone higher, to answer to, like you said, you know, you know, family, state, government, um, God, you know, to me, it's like nobody trumps God. And when the kids were little, they would be like, but mom, why? And like God said, I'm like, because okay. <laughs> if you don't have a father in the house, you know, like your wife probably said, wait till your father gets home or ask your father or whatever. So I, I, my answer was always like, God said, it's in the Bible, look it up. And that was the end of, you know, the story. And then as they got older, um, but I think, you know, there's one thing that I really, you know, we're talking about parenting, we're talking about being at home with our kids. You know, this is a great opportunity to show servant leadership. It's a great opportunity to show leadership to your family. And one of the things that we were talking about recently, because one of my kids tends to put himself down a lot, and he he has a very self-deprecating humor, which is, you know, when, when um, Jeff, when you're bringing that up and we're teasing you, um, there's a fine line between that, but there's also the concept of that I'd like to introduce to the table is we teach people how to treat us, you know, and that's, you know, sometimes the kids will say to me, mom, you know, you're serving, you know, homeless and foster care kids, you're serving the childhood cancer community, you're serving the church, you're serving all these different things, you know, you're just letting people walk all over you. And I'm like, no, you know, there's great power in humbleness, there's great power in service. And, you know, just because you're a nice person, I always say this, like, don't mistake my kindness for weakness, because sometimes it's the very difficult people that we have to show kindness to require the most personal strength. And we do need to teach people how to treat us. Like, it's not okay for you to call me names. It's not okay for you to take advantage of me. And these are really big, high concepts that I think adults need to learn, but also our children need to learn. And when we're confined on a submarine, when we're confined in a house for two or three weeks at a time, it is really vital that we look around at our own behaviors and the behaviors of our children and saying, what are we teaching our children and how other people treat us? And I think that's a really difficult concept, but I think it can be a dinner table conversation. Yeah, I think every day I have to remind myself that my kids are watching everything I do, you know, and they might not be analyzing what I'm doing, but they see how I respond to adversity. They see how you know, does dad get upset when he drops a light bulb or does he, you know, when the glass shatters or does he just clean it up and move on and say, oh, you know, that was, you know, in some, and I'll be honest, some days I do better than others, you know, but I try to be very aware of that I'm constantly leading by example. And so, you know, I, I, I want to demonstrate, model the behavior to problems and adversity that, that will help them you know, respond. Well, and how would you, and I'm going to go to you next, Jeff, so you can think about this. I'm a big believer that success leaves clues and I do models. Sometimes I hear phrases from gentlemen like both of you that I actually write down and I make part of my vernacular. I make that part of my day. So can you model an example of we've got fear, fear is rampant, panic, you know, stuff is off our shelves. People are panicking. How do you have a conversation with your family that acknowledges what is? Pretend I'm your kid. I'm, you know, any one of your kids. How would you explain what's going on in the world right now and how much influence you have if I say, Dad, what's, what's going on? Like my kid's joke is the world going to end because that's what, what their viewpoint is. If I came to you and said, Dad, I'm afraid the world's going to end, what would you say to me so other parents can use your languaging and use that calmness? And even if they have to fake it, fake it even though you're feeling frightened inside. 
Sure. I mean, the first thing I would say is the world is not going to end. And so let's just confront the main, the main concern. Like that's the big concern they have. Is the world going to end? No, the world is not going to end. But we could have a difficult time for a while. And some people are going to have a more difficult time than others. So, you know, the first thing that we have to do is as a family, we have to understand that we're, we're in this together. So um, if you can't count, this is something we say a lot in our family. If you can't count on us and you can't count on your sisters and your parents, you know, who can you count on? So we have to be there for each other. And we're stronger when we're all supporting each other. So, you know, especially when we're all cooped up in the house, you know, one of the things we've been talking to our kids about is listen to the way you speak to your sister. You know, we need to talk to each other better than we do. You know, we need to respect each other. We need to try to lift each other up and, and not, not increase all of our anxiety. So I think the language that we use, how we talk to each other, um, that creates a sense of calm. And then after you, you know, let the kids know that the world's not going to end, you explain to them, but some things are going to be different. They're going to be different than they've been before, which is, you know, now we can't just go, you know, this is one we dealt with today. It's a simple one, but I think it's a good one for kids to understand. We can't just go get a bowl of Cheerios, fill it to the top with cereal and milk, Eat, eat a third of it and dump the rest down the drain. And, you know, and, and that was one of the things I said today. I said, you know, are you in big trouble for this? No. But right now things are different. We cannot waste. And I said, in fact, going forward, we should all try to live this way, which is take your Cheerios, pour a small amount in the bowl, put a small amount of milk, and eat it till it's all gone. If you're hungry, you can – because the first response is, oh, Dad, I can't have as much as I want. No, you can have – you can eat till you're full, but let's not waste. So we'll put some in, we'll eat it. If you want some more, put a little more in, eat it. Because I said, what's going to happen three weeks from now when you go and we don't, we can't get any milk and you want your cheers, you're going to wish we had saved instead of waste those two gallons of milk, you're going to wish we had saved them. And so I've been thinking a lot about, you know, ways to teach them about, you know, this stuff's not just available. It's not free. It's not even just a question of, you know, oh, it costs money. It's a question of let's get them thinking about the idea of scarcity and that these things have value and they don't just show up on the doorstep because we ordered from Amazon, that they're, they're, these actually are things that we have to plan and think about and value. So those are some of the things that, that we've been doing. Well, and you're eight days behind us. We've had eight days with no milk, with no eggs. And I had to sit down my 16-year-old who's 6'4 with a size 16 foot. This guy's a bottomless pit. And I said, look, we have three flats of chicken breast left in our freezer. You're mowing through three a day. You know, like we had spaghetti and meatballs last night. He threw two chicken breasts on top and he's still hungry. And I said, you know, I'm really sorry, but you cannot eat. We've got four people. The chicken breasts have to have to last for everybody. You know, I'm so sorry that you can't eat this. You know, you're going to have to eat other stuff that I know you don't want to eat. But you can't mow through the chicken breasts because those chicken breasts have to last us as a family. And I think that's that's another flip side of you know the waste because my little one is Mr. McWaster. He pours like a cup of cereal and then two cups of milk and then the milk goes down the drain and I'm like, oh, that's liquid gold. Do you know how long I had to stand in line for that milk? Um, but having these conversations that this is, this is the reality. Jeff, what's going on in your house? Yeah, I mean, I think this is, a great, this is a great question to sort of wrap up everything that we've been talking about, in fact, because I think that this is our opportunity to take all these theoretical things that we've all uh, talked about and put them into action. And, and so I think that the way we've handled it, I hope is going to work for them. The first is I agree with Brian, the world is not going to end. Uh, our family is a family of faith and we talk about surrender a lot. We talk about trust and faith. We have had some frank conversations about what the Bible does and does not say. Like it doesn't say you're not going to suffer. It doesn't say you're not going to have hard times like Brian was saying, but it teaches us how to react in those times. And then I think, applying the principles that we've all been talking about here, which is to give them a sense of purpose, give them a sense of mission and action, 
that will get them through the difficult times. Once you've reassured them, especially at the age of our kids, um, you know, our oldest, uh, other than our college age kid, 12 and 11, that's pretty old and sophisticated for not quite getting it yet. But once they've been reassured that everything's eventually going to be okay, may not go back to any kind of old normal, but the world's not going to end. Kids are so dynamically flexible that they will adapt to whatever. So now they need purpose. And so that's what we've been doing. And we talked about it earlier. You know, how can you help take care of your sister? How can you make it easier for mom? Because she's trying to teach a class from home. How can we do these things? How can we come together as a family and work as a team to make our small part of the world a little better and maybe grow that out into a light beyond us? Um, we're, because we're so actively involved in our church this past Sunday, my daughter is a singer. My son just recently got good enough on the electric guitar to be able to play in the praise and worship band at our church. And so we gave them that task. It's like, you know what? We can't go to church because church doesn't meet. We're going to watch the message online, but man, we're going to miss that praise and worship time, the music. How about you guys take Saturday evening and put together a play set and give us praise and worship in the morning. And they rose to that occasion and our four-year-old had a microphone from the karaoke <laughs> machine and was trying to sing along. And so I think those are the technique, techniques you use. You, you find things that are important to your family. You give them task and mission after reassuring them that mommy and daddy are here. We're all in this together. Like Brian was saying, we're a team. Uh, use that team concept and then give them task and purpose. And it really, really makes a huge difference. You guys, I want to thank you for being my guest today. And I really want to thank you because anybody listening to this podcast, this is an, a special podcast because it's not sponsored by any big company. It's not scheduled, whatever. It's designed by the three of us to help families cope. And when I reached out to Brian and Jeff, now these guys are best-selling authors. They've got work to do. They've got deadlines. They've got kids at home like everybody else. They are struggling. And you guys dropped everything to put this and another recording together because you wanted to make a difference. And when you talk about servant leadership, you know, all three of us come together to serve the greater good, even though there's like World War III going out in my kitchen right now we all drop what we need to do to help the greater good. And I want to thank you guys, not only for your expertise, for your experience, for serving our country, but also for showing up today as real people going through a real situation and helping light the way for others that may not have the experience you have, the education or the benefit of the gifts you've been given. I want to thank you both. You can find out more about these guys. Just go to Amazon, Brian Andrews, Jeffrey Wilson. What's your website again? It's andrews-wilson.com. And everything you want to know about us and our books and the upcoming series, it's all there. And Sandra, it's always such a pleasure to talk to you. We've really enjoyed being here. and We'll talk to you and your listeners anytime. Thank you. Yes, thank you, Sandra. And you make the, life, the world a little bit brighter every day. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. All right, you guys, go out. Be the best parent you can be. Be the best spouse, the employee, the owner. Whatever it is in this time, be the light. We'll be back again next week. On behalf of Sandra Beck, we want you to get out there today to make more money with less time and effort so you can live the life you want. Tune in next week for more tips, tricks, and techniques on Coach.